0: Hey there, it's Megan, and you're listening to Better Product, the show where we celebrate great products and the people and processes that make them stronger. Marketing products can be like a game of poker. You have to know when to show your cards and when not to. It's a challenge that Christian and I have seen time and again in our work in digital products, and it might go without saying, but there's a lot you have to consider before you show your software. So today, we're talking about not only when it's time to show people your digital product, but the several factors you need to consider about your messaging, brand, and product usability before you get there. Let's get into it. I'm going to start by reading a bit from a LinkedIn post we found that inspired this conversation. We'll also link to it in the description so you all can see it for yourself. The reflection comes from Peep Laya, who we don't know, but for the record is the founder and CEO of Winter, an intelligent marketing and advertising tool. He asks this question, almost every B2B SaaS website has images or illustrations of some kind. What should they be? He then goes on to observe that many say people only want to see screenshots or actual pictures of the tool. They're looking to understand what it is. Just show the software is a common cry. What they don't want to see are the graphics, the cartoon people, the illustrations that we're so used to at this point that don't add specificity or clarity about the software. The point of any imagery or graphics you include is going to be to help communicate the message, communicate what the software does, nothing else. So I have a lot of thoughts on this Christian, but what's your reaction when you see this post?
1: Well, my reactions are multi threaded, if you will. Um, I don't know. Is that multi yeah, multi threaded? I think that's a word. Anyway.
0: Multifaceted.
1: Multifaceted in the multiverse. Yeah. The first um I'll get to something substantial, I think, in a second, but the first reaction I had when I saw that was, um, yeah, it seems obvious. But then I immediately thought of like, I always, every time I, I try to like reconcile what somebody says about digital products, I try to think of the world of physical products that have been around for decades to sort of see the corollaries. And I couldn't help but think about the, the, the concept of like buying a car, which is a higher consideration purchase than most software platforms are going to be. But if you think about car commercials that are on still on TV today. You can't avoid them. They're they're going to be even on YouTube. They followed people there. Uh, I don't know if they're on TikTok. We'll have to, to check. But there's always some driver. Like if it's a truck commercial, better believe that truck is on some closed course, like hauling dirt or driving up some insanely steep like cliff. If it's a sports car, it's on some hairpin side of a mountain where like of people who would own that car do not live. And that's the first like interaction with a car. They're not even showing the inside of it or anything. It's like the outside of the car, totally unrealistic. Then you go to the car lot and then you see the car. So that was the first, and then you test drive it. And so that was kind of my first, I guess I I already said my first reaction was I agreed. My second was that I think there's an order to that, which I think we're going to get to in a bit where I don't think it's as simple as just show me the software. I think that there's things that come before that, but I think that's more your expertise. But that was my first reaction. You're smiling at me, so I must know what car company you're thinking about.
0: I was just going to say, yeah, first they show you, you know, the pickup truck on that closed course, and then they do a close shot of like the beer cans rattling around in the truck bed, and then they zoom back out. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So that's 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 everybody knows that. And it's like repeated in so many different brands with just different styles and things like that. So I think that there's there's nuance to it. But um, I think where where I would love to start with my reaction is really sticking more to the sort of like product design side of his comment about, um, you know, showing the software. So this is an interesting comment for me, because my background is in UX design, but I've since shifted to more of a growth role. For our Innovate Map agency overseeing sales and marketing. So I've gotten a better appreciation for what sales is really like. I'm not gonna bore anybody with what I've learned through the sales coaching, but I think that a lot of what I think about in his post is, is tied to like B2B SaaS software. And the first thing I learned after leaving in house software to go that was you know just millions of dollars in revenue, 10, 20 year old software. Once I left that world to go work for startup companies, I realized how important it was to actually make the sale. And you, I would find these companies that might've been say, two or 3 million in revenue and sort of like plateauing in some way, or maybe 8 million in revenue and wanting to uh, go after another vertical or move to the enterprise, whatever it is. And what I always found well, I shouldn't say always, but in a lot of these uh, companies, they had very sales-driven like cultures where the salesperson would sort of make the sale. And so what they had done is actually deferred or I, I guess almost put off designing the product well because their salespeople were so good. And it was almost like they were compensating for poorly designed software. And so when you keep playing that out, you think, all right, we've built this sales org. It's really strong. They're selling software. What you're not realizing is you're putting off good design because good design should be able to help sell it a lot easier. And then that keeps perpetuating itself until the point you get where people are starting to complain about how hard it is to use your software and just see it. But but in those cases, a lot of these companies are almost either intentionally or unintentionally not showing you the software because they're kind of embarrassed by it. So they actually want you to talk to a salesperson who's got the charisma and relationships that actually can sort of communicate it. Uh, One of the best ways I've seen this at play is when I watch sales demos where I watch (laughs) a salesperson like clicking around like, oh, ignore that or hold on just a second, like all these like little comments. And as a designer, I'm like, oh, my God, like you could redesign that and your demo would go so much better.
0: So when a salesperson is is demoing software, it's a lot like when realtors want to be in the house with you when you're touring it, especially if the house like, isn't that great? You know, like let's say a raccoon runs across the floor and the realtor's like, no, look this way. Actually, that was a ghost.
1: So to your story, huh. Megan, a real, so what, I think the message you just sent is a realtor needs to show you personally because you're a fan of ghosts. So they might like get people to not look that way because they're scared of them. But, you know, talking to you, they're like, I know she likes ghosts, so I'm going to point this out to her.
0: Well, I mean, like if you had to choose raccoon infestation or ghost, you know, it's kind of.
1: Well, yeah, but the problem is the ghosts are not covered under any insurance plan. So it's got to be friendly. But yeah, Yeah. I hear you. I would probably (laughs) rather have a ghost.
0: Anyway, yeah. The point is that salespeople demoing software is like realtors showing you a house, especially if it's kind of a crappy house or there's stuff that they want to like direct your eyes away from. Because if they have the charisma and if they point you into the direction of the things that they want you to see instead, you might not notice all the other things about the house. Exactly the same way that sales do with crappy software. They point out the good stuff and avert your eyes from the rest.
1: Yeah, it's almost, I think it's a, a lot about persuasion too. And, and if you look at like the sales process, if you go through coaching, you're usually tried to Sell something without them having to use it, not to be nefarious in any way, but really just like you should be able to sell a product to solve somebody's problems without them having to necessarily use it to believe it. But that's kind of counter to the trend of what product led growth that we've covered a lot on the show over the last two and a half years. Um, that's that's kind of counter to what the product led growth mo- growth movement is about. Um, but really, the the thing about product led growth is it it's predicated on good design because if it's well designed, it should help sales down the the road. But the problem with product-led growth, as we've talked about so far, is it's culturally challenging for an organization that started as sales first. If I just want to get you to a demo, that means that it's a sales-led demo. Well, it's a little bit scary maybe for organizations to say, wait, hold on, what's sales role then if we're letting people use the software? But Again, it's only if the software is designed well. And we've covered this in the past, but I don't think this uh, makes salespeople's jobs at risk. I actually think it changes, it makes them more effective where they can actually support the product and come in later rather than putting all the onus on a salesperson to get you to look the other way. You have a really well designed product that's going to be almost with the way you'd say it sells itself. If you've got a truly product led, growth oriented company, your salespeople should actually be more effective, not not necessarily irrelevant. Uh, so okay. we're kind of working upstream from this demo to having a well-designed product. M- Megan, I'd love for you to sort of cover the what I would say is the root of all this is the the brand side and the messaging that even like kicks all this off, like backing up even to there.
0: Yeah, so my perspective here really, it it may go without saying when we're talking about product marketing and brand, but really, this is a question about how you market and sell your product on your website. So, how much or how little or in what ways you choose to preview your product all depend on how you answer a few different questions about messaging and about brand. Um, So, Christian, you've already touched on okay, what if the product doesn't look very good? that could potentially be one of the reasons that a software company doesn't show screens from their product on their site. Um, But beyond that, you do have options and different reasons for doing different things. So on one end of the spectrum, you show no software and you lean into illustrations. Again, it could be because your product just doesn't look that great. It could be because you're going all in on brand or maybe, You haven't actually built the product yet, and you're just kind of getting it out there for awareness on the other end of the spectrum, you could show the entire screen, like the the main dashboard of the most complicated software you've ever seen. That's a little bit harder to tell a story or even convey value, because if I see a screen like that with a ton of detail on it, I'm thinking, what am I supposed to get out of this? Even if it's a beautiful screen, I'm looking at it with no clue, essentially what it does so. And obviously that's where a little bit of messaging comes in as well. But at Innovate Map, we tend to recommend something in the middle of pure illustration and pure full screen software. So for example, if you absolutely want to show off your product screens, you can take them a step further. One way to do that is to marketize them. So you can cut down, we'll call, let's say, cards out of a dashboard. Like where small if you want to focus, of UI. Yeah. Small pieces of UI. If you want to focus on one particular feature, um, let's say, I don't what's a good example of that? Like Strava. Yeah.
1: Were, yeah. You could like zoom in. I think, I think even Strava side, like zooms in on the route tracker, which is like one part of it. And it does exactly. like, to your point, it's marketized. So it doesn't even necessarily like doesn't have to be a screenshot of the actual app. It just looks like it. And it's a little bit more deep. I don't know, artistic, I guess.
0: Yeah. So if your product looks good, what you might want to do is just basically crop a screen to one little piece on it, like a route tracker. And that helps you focus in on one particular feature or benefit and tell the story a little bit clearer instead of showing a whole screen. If your product doesn't look good, then you can actually take the screens and apply a coat of paint to them. Like from a brand design perspective, maybe strip away all the detail that you don't really need in let's say a dashboard and apply better colors, apply uh, better layouts to your product. It's not exactly what the prospect is going to see or the customer is gonna see when they buy it. But by doing that, you can clean it up enough that you can then break it down into cards and tell the story a little bit and communicate the value a little bit clearer. So those are options rather than just pure show me exactly what the software looks like. Yeah.
1: So, so I mentioned this earlier about sort of like being nefarious about what you show and don't show, but when you're describing it from a brand perspective, how do you, how do you talk about like the fresh coat of paint and all that? How do you do that without sort of feeling like there's a bait and switch or just tricking someone or making it seem bigger than it is?
0: Yeah, it's a hard line to toe. We come across that um, every once in a while And one way to do it is just to be very obvious about the way that you're marketizing the screen. Like if you push it far enough, if you remove enough detail, if you even, let's say, take all the words out of a screen and only use shapes to convey where words might be, something that clearly could not possibly be what the software looks like is one way to do that. That way, when the person gets into the actual software, they're like, okay, I knew it wasn't gonna look like that, that I saw on the website. It's
1: almost like that uh, the uncanny valley uh, of like um, you know, photorealistic like renderings of people that look too close, but not close enough. It's almost like you have to stylize the product in a way that it's obviously stylized, but not make it so realistic that you think it's going to look like it's it. It's so, like right. you said, it's, it's hard. But I think that's really that balance you're trying to find.
0: Right because what you don't want to do is have the brand designer go and design the product that they think that they should be seeing and put that on the website. That is misleading.
1: Yeah. And it's not really that different from, uh, well, I don't want to get into like airbrushing people for, for photo shoots, but it's not that different from a car commercial or even shoes where, or food. I mean, like how many burger commercials like have the, like, like stuff dropping down onto the bun. And you're just like, I have never gotten a Whopper that looks like the commercial, but people don't really care.
0: Yeah. It's like, what, what's the line between marketing and catfishing? People are dealing with that oh, every wow. day, you know? Okay. <laughs> like
1: I- well, okay. That's a different <laughs> episode, Megan. We are not going to sit here and start defending catfishing, but yeah. it sounds like we need to cover that at some point.
0: Probably. Yeah. So overall, from both mine and Christian's experience, um, as we find true for many things on this show, there really isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. So there is a process you can follow to figure out how you should best market and sell your product um, and to figure out just how much you should reveal of the actual product on your website.
1: Yeah. So let's break that down. Um, I think you and I have talked about this a lot uh, off the air as we were sort of preparing for this and... I mentioned at the beginning about the sort of process of buying a car, like where it starts. So I think that when, when we think about helping companies, startups, early stage, like Series A, like what does it look like to, to, to think about making sure your product's well designed and, and sort of selling it? Like w- what do you have to have in place? I would say there's four steps and we'll, we'll cover these in more detail. So n- number one, you have to solidify your messaging and brand. Uh, Once you've done that, two, you have to show the functionality itself in whatever way you do that. Um, Number three, uh, also related to product design, you have to make your product easy to learn. If You think about onboarding or getting somebody immersed in what your product can do. That's what number three is. And then last, you have to show how easy it is to buy your product. I always joke that it amazes me how hard people make it to buy things on the internet. So Anyway, let's start with point one and you kick this one off, Megan. So point one around messaging and brand.
0: Instagram's made it really easy to buy things on the internet and Bank of America Too can easy. confirm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like Christian said, we're going to start with messaging and brand uh, that you build around your product. If you want to showcase your product well, this is where you have to start to really get it right. So you should never just use illustrations because they're cute or they're what you think everybody else is doing, or this is a trendy new blown up person that I saw not a good enough reason. Every visual that you choose needs to have a brand purpose. So when showing off your product, the visuals you choose should be strategic and they should embody messages that explain why your product is valuable. Any image you're using, and we use like storytelling as um, a pretty good benchmark, any image you're using should be telling some sort of a story about the benefit or the value that your product provides. Brand designers out there are probably going to freak out about that and like, okay, well, don't we need a little bit of flourish or just sometimes you need a little bit of design for design's sake? And I agree with that. I think to build a, a powerful and a rich brand, you do need some of those just extra little things. But when you're talking about the, the hero images on your site that are really supposed to be communicating what your product does, they should be focused on value, not on trends. One strategy we tend to recommend, again, is using those cards to show what your product looks like. So, um, But in addition to the cards and product screens, you should also make sure you include smart and clear copy that describes what your product does and also how it impacts the user's life. So... That means really getting your positioning right, really defining that position in market, really nailing down the messaging and the highest level benefits that your product provides for users, and really making sure that you understand your users' pain points and are answering them. And you're providing them the value that they either that they need or that they've asked
1: for. I was thinking about too, because you've done this work too, Megan, we we work on a lot of I would guess I would call them like really technical industries, like cybersecurity. And I see this a lot with Web three and a lot of blockchain oriented things, um, where the domain is really complex. And there's almost like we've we've talked about car commercials and shoes and all that stuff. That's really easy to see like what you what you do. But um, in some of the industries, and some of our listeners are designing software with a concept or like the the context is really complicated, like designing something for blockchain and selling it to consumers. You have to kind of explain a lot of different components that are not just relevant to the product. And something that um, I would probably throw in there too, that you do for for a lot of companies is like visuals, like concept visuals or visuals that just help convey like the the environment something operates in or like how things are connected. So um, sometimes people look at that and think it's just pointless eye candy, but you can do a lot uh, with words and supplement them with visuals that sort of hit home. Stripe, I think, has done a really good job with this over the past five years where they've just been this sort of pass through platform for payments. And so it's kind of hard to explain what they did, but they've always had really good Um, I guess, visual diagrams that explain those to supplement the, the product messaging.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. We typically refer to those as solution visuals. And it is like the purpose of those is to illustrate a complex concept. So they're actually not always illustrating what the product does. They might be illustrating something about the ecosystem that the product exists in, like explaining how blockchain works before then we introduce this product that works on the blockchain.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's almost like not just describing the product, but like describing the problem because not everybody may see it initially. Yeah. So, okay. If you've done that well, then I would say this, then you can start thinking about showing somebody the functionality. Um, And I think today with product-led growth, most advocates would say, you should be able to use the product yourself. And I would agree in most cases, but again, in these complex cases where maybe setting up your product is really hard because there's a lot of data that you have to clean or in a very complex situation where um, it's not that easy to just start using or you have to get other people in your org, you don't really have the opportunity to just start using. Now, you can design a portion of your app that lets them almost use it in a sandbox or something like that. But um, really, I think the point here is that if you, you, none of these four steps we're talking about operate independently, they all should feed into each other. So if you, if you have a strong brand, which you should, you should invest in brand, brand design, your visual identity and getting the messaging right. Uh, then you should also match that with designing the product. Because as Meg was saying earlier, I think you, you have like this, this sort of. Uh, you don't want to be putting lipstick on a pig. Um, now you don't have to make it, you know, top of the line design. But I think it's worth pointing out here that our consumer demands as software buyers are higher than ever, and they're not going to change because we're used to using well-designed software on our phones or just other types of apps. Uh, people expect that. Even if you're talking about a, you know, cybersecurity application, you want a good experience, and so. If you've delivered on a brand promise and you start using the app, it needs to deliver on that as well. Now, I do want to talk about the one question you asked, Megan, which is is that you kind of covered, which is how far do you go showing the product on your site? And I, I think it's hard advice to say, but I don't think anybody should be skimping on design, period. Now, when you handle design, when you actually embark on getting the right UX, that can be at different stages. So what I mean is we find people that will go live with a private alpha of a product or new features that are in a private alpha with a trusted group of people who really want what you're building. That's okay if they're not getting the great design, but the only way that works is if you talk to them and let them know like, Hey, for early access, we're looking for feedback. This isn't going to be perfect that everybody get that. Okay, cool. So I think if you're at that stage, you can put off showing your product, but you just have to be honest with the community or your users about what stage the product is. But once something is live, you shouldn't be launching without having given something, a product or a feature, a full design to make sure that you're delivering on the brand promise. I think one other piece here too, I don't know if you want to talk about this one, Megan, but I think uh, we, we had also made the note that absence says a lot to your audience. And I was thinking that like, if you don't show it, it's sort of is like, what are you hiding? And I think sometimes, yeah. like like I said, if it's because you're working on it, just be honest, the best product companies are very honest, like on their site, like, hey, coming soon, these are the things coming up. But if you're just not showing and not addressing it, it's like is that a ghost, Is that a raccoon on the wall, I don't know.
0: <laughs> and that maybe was what the original LinkedIn post was hinting at is like, if you are if you're hiding your software on your website, people are only going to assume the worst. They're going to assume that it looks terrible or it's not easy to use and, or you just don't know how to communicate the value. Maybe it doesn't even provide that much value. So you do need to show something.
1: So, okay. Step one, brand and messaging. Step two, make the product well-designed. All right. Step three. Also UX, I'll cover this point too, which is you have to make the product easy to learn. So if, you know, again, these are product led growth. These are just product fundamentals. So, when you think about first-time user experience or you think about onboarding, this is what we're talking about. Now, this is way too big to cover with the depth that needs to be covered for every different situation. Um, so, But I will at least speak in some general forms of, if you're dealing with a a well-known domain that's that there are competitive products, you can assume that people understand what your product is doing. Think about CRM software or messaging type software, like where you're, when you're operating in a space where people already understand, then you have to start onboarding people in a different way. So in that space, Slack did a really great job. And we started using it, I think in 2015, where it was just a chat app. I've been using chat apps since the 90s. But what Slack did really well was they showed you as you start using it, the different things you can do at the moment you want to do them. You go create a new channel, it tells you commands on how to invite people to that channel. They don't tell you all those things at once because they know you know how to use the product. So they're just gonna tell you how to do the different things when it matters. They do that today with new features like when they introduced huddles uh, on the bottom left side of it, when you had that available, it lets you know once you went to a channel where you could have a huddle. It didn't force you down this whole demo or huge tutorial. If you're in a complex world, if you're almost on the other side, I think it's a little bit different. I think that is is challenging because you're dealing with a product that maybe has a lot of features or it's in a complex area where there's a lot of things you have to understand. And the tendency that a lot of people do is just do this sort of like click through onboarding And then people click, 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 and then it's over and then they just get dumped into it. I think a better approach is thinking about it more like training wheels and sort of isolating pieces of the UI and using sort of progressive disclosure to sort of reveal more about the product as you grow. So, for example, if you have an analytics product, but the data doesn't really show anything until you've used it for a while, Then don't start them on the analytics side showing a bunch of graphs that have empty data sets start guiding them towards how they would actually start filling up the database with with data importing data or whatever it is and then reveal the graphs only when when it really becomes relevant so um, i think that you know the question of when you know the the prompt for this section that that i had written down was you know thinking about you know well-designed demos I think the demo in this case really is how you first experience the product. Um, But if we back up to the website, interactive websites where you get to take pieces of the product and interact with them are also really good for product demos as well.
0: And that brings us to our final step, which is you put so much time and effort into getting the messaging and your position in market perfect. You put so much time and effort into designing this product and making sure it's valuable and then also figuring out how to get people in it and start using it. The final step that Christian, you mentioned earlier, people just somehow forget is to make sure that however you show your product to the world, you also include clear steps for how to actually buy this product. So I don't know if maybe this is something that is left over from legacy software that had to be bought and sold through a salesperson. that there are so many software companies today that could have an easy transaction on their website and they just don't. So you believe it or not, this can, it happens more often than you think. So, um, when you think about making it easy to buy, one of the best practices we always recommend is call to actions throughout the site on the homepage, on the product page, on a technology page, having call to actions that actually take the user to the pricing page or to the contact form or however you're having them transact. Obviously, a pricing page and getting them on their, on their own is easiest, so they don't have to go through a salesperson. But sometimes, as we explained, in the more complex industries, you do. On a pricing page, we talk a lot about um, whether or not to offer a free trial or a freemium product in a lot of our product marketing discussions, it really, again, depends on the company, depends on the product. But freemium is that best practice of product-led growth that gets people in so they can start using it. And once enough people find it valuable, that's when you bump them up to the next tier and actually transact. So there are a lot of levers you can pull there. But again, one of the Easiest things to do and the biggest things we recommend is just more call-to-actions that actually tell the user to buy So to recap first off you have to get your messaging right you have to get your positioning right you have to get your brand Right, you have to make sure all of those resonate with your audience Second you have to show the functionality itself to prove that this is a product that actually solves a problem that is relevant to them And third, you have to make your product easy to learn. Once they get in it, it has to be something that they want to use often and continue to use and use to the fullest extent that they can. And finally, you have to show how easy it is to buy your product or else nobody's gonna do that.
1: That's great, thanks for that recap, Megan. So at the risk of sounding like a broken record, Now we need to let you know, we want your feedback. I really promise. Even if it's something negative, you can send the the hate mail to Megan's apartment. Her address is... No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, no. (laughs) Um, And, but if you love what we do, even more importantly, we definitely want to hear that as well. But most importantly, we want to hear things that you want to have covered or, you know, any, you know, things we might have missed. Um, We're really looking for more engagement and not just us, you know, talking at you all. Um, Until then, we have our producer, Erica, dreaming up what we need to say next to convince you this is worth the time.
0: Yep. We're looking for that brave soul who is finally going to make Better Product a two-way conversation. So feel free to reach out.
1: Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget... The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.